Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast. And uh, we are podcasters destroyer of worlds. Oh, it's a thing that relates to the thing. That's good. Well, it'll it'll be a, a theme throughout the podcast, though. I'm curious, and we're gonna we're gonna get back into Barbie Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer, and all that, and then talk about it. It's mainly what we're gonna talk about today. But since a lot of people saw Oppenheimer, right? Yeah, it was not necessarily exclusively an erudite, fluent in literature and science crowd, right? It, it played like a blockbuster. Yeah, very much Play so. Like- well, I, f- I feel like it doesn't talk down to its audience, but like, it's it's the language of film makes makes all the more complex stuff just kind of fly by. Sure. So I, I do I do wonder. There's a couple of things in the movie, and oh, by the way, guys, mild spoilers throughout. Like, we're assuming you've seen it because everyone saw this stuff. So, you know, just go with us on this. Nothing will nothing we're gonna say will sully your enjoyment. I think, but Oppenheimer has a couple of things where no one does that like, hey, hey, you see what I'm talking about? And there's the now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, which you, you, you kind of know is coming as soon as that conversation is happening. And it becomes, is he going to do the thing? Is he going to do the thing? Or the um, the ending with, the you know, that, that young senator trying to make a name for himself. Oh, to- well, yeah, the, that line plays exactly the same as like the Robin line from Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, you can tell he, he he's not above the like, I'm going to do it, guys. Watch. I'm going to do it. I like that he plays the big biopic moments the same way that he plays the big Batman moments, like when he suits up and sort of does the hat and the pipe and all that. And, you know, there's a few sort of, you know, kind of prophetic lines of dialogues like, oh, don't turn your back on your friends. You might need them later. Like things like that that are just so on the nose. It's like it's it's not even a criticism. It's just goofy to me. But I, I find it delightful, especially in a film that takes itself so seriously. Yeah, for a filmmaker who takes himself very seriously, has carte blanche to do what he wants, is an auteur in the with a capital A, is still a little bit of a populist filmmaker. Yeah, now, granted, he goes in some very unusual directions at times with, with Interstellar and Tenet, and I would even argue this. Oh yeah, but is still very much a guy who uh, seems to want to entertain, and he he does. But yeah, there's there's a couple of things in these films where you're just like, oh, he's doing the thing. Um, and I just, I was fascinated by that because I think, you know, we watch it and know, but there are plenty of people watch it and don't know at all. Not necessarily the Kennedy thing. I think most people would have to know who that is, but the, the, uh, destroyer of worlds quote is, a uh, is somewhat highfalutin. It's known in pop culture from other things, but I don't know that you would know it's from there. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, in any event, just a taste of what we're going to be doing today, because we're doing Barbenheimer Part 2, um, because Miles is here, obviously. Hi, I'm Goes here. Goes saying. Yeah. And, uh, well, I did two movies in two days for the uh, back-to-back press screenings. Miles did the uh, true, true blue, or true pink, pink and black. I don't even know how we would consider it. Double feature of Barbenheimer. So we're going to dive into that more today get into both movies more because we've both seen them now 
and also the experience of doing the double feature, because Miles can speak to that. Um, so that'll be a, a key part of the episode, besides your questions and, you know, some other stuff we have planned. But uh, first up, Miles, before you talk about Barbenheimer, what else have you been up to? Because I think you have a, a thing to uh, promote, sort of, kind of. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for teaming me up for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, recently, I got the chance to be uh, a guest, the first guest, in fact, of the Lone Screenplay nominee podcast, which is actually being put together by none other than Matthew Anderson, listener of the show. And uh, he writes in questions every now and then. I believe we even have one from him in a little bit. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of fun. We talked about Knives Out, and uh, we got real in-depth into all the things we love about that film, and you know, maybe some issues that we have. Um, it's good. It's a good show. I'm excited to see uh, where it goes from here, but you can uh, check that out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. I will let you know that where it goes from here is I will be a subsequent guest, so uh, when, we're, when I'm on, I will, I will have a, you know... <laughs> blunt conversation with him about going with you first. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, congrats, Matthew. We're happy to, to help you out in any way we can. Also, you know, it's cool to see people, or I guess in this case, hear people, you know, listen and go, I can do this, presumably better. And they're not always wrong. So I don't mind. Uh, we, you know what, let's do, his, he has a question for us. Let's just dive into his question. And we, we can uh, double back if we need to, depending on, on uh, how the conversation goes. But Matthew Anderson, says questions one where does this rank talking about interstellar i mean oppenheimer (laughs) see i have it on the mind amongst nolan's filmography for you which is good because i just published that yesterday and miles has his list so we'll do that in one moment uh he also says if nolan ends up winning his overdue oscar for this do you think it'll be for directing or adapted screenplay we can tackle that now and says can you see can you see this winning cinematography and editing like jfk did um, presumably at least partly inspired by me referencing JFK quite a bit. Um, it's also impossible not to have seen JFK and watch this and not get that vibe. Oh, totally. Um, in term- so let's do that one first. I think that's that's maybe the not less interesting, but it's kind of a quick one. I think cinematography and editing are possibilities. Yep. But Nomination-wise, for sure. Like, oh, definitely. Yeah. I would be surprised if they're not nominated. Wins, I think... You have to keep in mind that it is a movie that is largely people in rooms talking. And while JFK had that element as well, that one was almost three hours of paranoid thriller. This is an act and a half of paranoid thriller, you know, and an act of science and an act of kind of traditional biopic. So there's and then a half act of just Nolanisms because it is a four X structure, which I'm sure we can get into as well. So I think nominations pretty much across the board. Like I, I didn't do a deep dive yet into what I have prediction-wise for things, but I, I think it, it's probably the leader in the clubhouse right now to have the most nominations, assuming the season goes according to plan for it. Sure. Well, I, would, could... I don't think it's unfair to say that it's the most Oscar-friendly film to come out so far this year. Sure, give or take uh, Scorsese playing at Cannes. Well, but uh, to come out. Exactly. To be to be in, in wide release and, and be, you know... Officially qualified, let's say. Yeah, I would say it's it's easily. It, the we most, don't know uh, for a fact ready. yet that Killers of the Flower Moon isn't getting delayed. There's no reason to think it will be, but I would have said the same about Dune, and here we are. Well, that so that was. Um, did we talk about it on air, or did we talk about it off air last week? That aspect. Of it? I, I think we, we, we touched on it very briefly last week. Maybe. Mm. I think I had a conversation with some with someone uh, in the industry about it. That I might be conflating the things, but the. Um, 
So far, the Toronto, so you got TIFF and you have Venice having announced parts of their lineup. They're plugging ahead with almost everything still. So so far. I would, yeah. No, everything's subject to change, but especially a director-centric thing, there's no problem. Um, what I think WB is doing there is they're they're trying to pull a little bit of a, well, look what we'll do if you don't uh, come to the table and give us what we want. As opposed to the opposite. Because if you look at what they mentioned, right? They mentioned three titles. They mentioned Dune Part 2. Dune 2, whatever the official title is. Um, the Color Purple. And Aquaman and the Reshoot Kingdom. Which, God knows what they're up to with that movie. That movie is a mess, apparently. Uh, Whoa, so are kinda... you, hold on, hold on. Do you mean to tell me that DC is releasing a movie that some might consider a mess this year? Yeah. Do you Will wonders you think... never yeah. cease? Yeah. Do you think that James Gunn is probably thinking to himself, you know, I could have just had them wait to tell them that tell everyone that they hired me for like a year and not had to deal with all their crap that I'm not involved in and just basically trying to unfuck up? That's all he's really had to do with like Flash and this and been like, just don't put things in I'm not doing because then people will be pissed. That's been his job so far besides getting Superman ready. I think I think the goalposts have already shifted from craft a 10 year cinematic universe to get Superman out the door and see where we can go from there. Yeah, start 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 with something people like and then we'll see what happens. So, uh, yeah. So Aquaman. I think they're throwing that in when they already have to figure out what's going on with that movie because it was supposed to come out before Flash, I want to say. Initially, they bounced around. Yeah. Well, do you remember last year they put out that big trailer where it's like the Batman, the Flash, Aquaman 2, they're all coming out this year and only one of them ended up coming out. And the only one that didn't go into a universe. Yeah. But uh, but Dune. Dune is the one of like, we're going to hold back the big like moneymaker because listen. They would love to have Zendaya and Austin Butler and the entire Timothy Chalamet and, and the entirety of that large cast, right? Walk the red carpet at Venice, at, at, at Toronto, New York, L.A. But that movie can still do well without. And you can even make the case that uh, they might even be hurt a little bit by, do, by waiting too long because you don't know at what point audiences go, eh, it's been too long since a Dune movie. I don't care anymore. I don't think that's going to happen with a year, but it is a a slight risk. We have seen this year alone certain properties. People go, "Eh, we've we've done enough. We've done well without. We can continue doing well without. Whereas Color Purple, you know, they without putting the cast out there, you can't launch a big expensive Oscar movie. Right. And expect it to do well like that's a they can pretend that that's punishing the audience. That's them trying to save that movie. So that's a whole other thing. But. You're, you're looking at, like, with Dune, a very specific situation. Whereas, if you look at Toronto and Venice, and you can start to kind of figure out what Telluride's going to do, and New York's made a couple of announcements, a lot of the studios are pushing ahead. Like, Netflix doesn't give a shit, it seems. Maestro, The Killer, like, they're going. They're going with all their stuff. Sure, but I would also say that Dune isn't isolated, because Disney's always so pushing some stuff back, and then... Um... Uh, Challengers got pushed to next year as well. So I'd I'd say say it's a case-by-case basis, if anything. MGM, which we saw last year, right? And Bones and all, women talking. Like, they don't spend like drunken sailors. They they have a very kind of judicious approach, right? So I can see them being, well, if we can't at least have 
our our giant like famous lead actress out and about this is going to make uh, you know 2 million bucks or something like that and then then suddenly why are we spending 10 million on it right so i i see why they're like well if we just wait okay i'll come out in april or like we'll go to We'll go to Sundance or South by or can like whatever they because they could still tinker with the date again. They'll they'll just try to do the alternate route. But with the bigger stuff, especially if you have a, a bigger name director like Luca Guadagnino is not a nobody, but he's not selling tickets necessarily. Right. Like we just saw it. Not in the way that Christopher Nolan does, apparently. Yeah. Um, or not in the way that, you know, to some degree. Netflix, but in the way that David Fincher will bring people to the platform, right? You will people will go watch the David Fincher movie. I mean, Mank did numbers, and there's that is a almost anti audience movie, and I like that movie, but that's not a movie to necessarily get people to watch. Just you're not, on its you're own not selling your platform on that movie, exactly. All this to say, I would not expect Scorsese to bounce out unless this go. The only thing I would see happening. And then we can we can move on from the strike stuff because there's nothing really new at the moment is if things really devolve and and the sides won't talk. They back off. It's really getting bad. I can see pressure being put by maybe SAG to say, why don't we hold hold stuff back and keep the uh, producers and the studios from making money? And, and maybe that'll bring them to the table if there's just less product out. That's a possibility. It is, although I, I feel like something like that would be ultimately up to Apple more so than Scorsese. Sure. I mean, it depends on – I mean, Apple and Scorsese have a unique relationship because they're very desperate to keep him happy. I was talking to someone about this recently. They they know they can't make him unhappy because he'll just bounce. He'll go somewhere else. And they and they love that they have him, especially coming after he made a Netflix. Like, oh, well, we gave you everything you want. Well, we're going to do a wide release to some degree about this. Like, everything is what will make him happy. And we just saw that with Nolan and and Tarantino to a lesser degree. That was a little different because of Harvey Weinstein. But these guys will move and people will line up to make you happy. So totally. I don't expect them to do something that Scorsese doesn't want, which is all that to say there. So, yes, Oppenheimer definitely in the running until proven otherwise for everything. And, and honestly, if we do see things delay, it can only help that film. Right. Yeah. And to, and to a different extent, Barbie, because they are now known quantities. Uh, the, so that's one part of Matthew's question. Talk about Nolan specifically. Um, I feel like it would be weird to give him screenplay over director. But I don't know that they think that way. Also, the screenplay would be adapted. And that's, I think, the tougher category it's shaping up to be. Also kind of depends on what Barbie does. Sure. It seems like Barbie's trying to go original, even though I don't think they're going to succeed. Yeah, well, I've, last I heard is that they're going back and forth on that. My personal take, if it were to come down to, like, let's say the second half of the year is a release disaster and there's only, like, five other movies that come out that are serious Oscar things, and it does come down to Oppenheimer and Barbie, what I would imagine it being is the split would be Barbie would go screenplay, Oppenheimer would go director. Uh, I mean, the thing we have to always remember, and we we do, but sometimes we we get lost in the in the sauce, as it were, when we're deep in the race, right? And you're trying to craft a narrative or whatnot. Is 
they don't always think about the split in terms of like what would make people happy, right? They just do what they no, want. No, totally. But I'm more in talking in terms of the kinds of things they tend to reward sure. with each individual category. And, um, and right Nolan now, definitely has the past due narrative. Never mind that yeah. this is easily the most Oscar friendly movie he's ever made. Sure. I think if you look at Adapted right now, Killers of the Flower Moon seems very likely to be there, right? And could easily win Eric Roth, right? No one would be necessarily upset. Maybe Scorsese? I don't remember if he's credited as a um, a screenwriter. What a wild way to get him a second Oscar, right? If that's yeah. true. Let me, I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to look that up right now just because I'm curious. Um, oh, great. It's the, <laughs> the page took me to the book. That was less helpful. Uh, he is a co-writer. He would get an Oscar. There you go. So that is interesting. I think that's maybe easier. So Nolan's first Oscar being for writing is not odd in the sense of it's not deserved or anything, but he is such a director-centric writer, um, a filmmaker. Like, you don't think of necessarily his scripts. You think of his execution of them from behind the camera. In the same sense that, like, Tarantino, while being a visually dynamic director, like, so much is the dialogue that... Well, you, it is weird that he doesn't have a directing Oscar. Having two writing ones almost feels like, oh, yeah, he would win multiple ones. You know, sometimes that kind of thing happens. But Scorsese having his directing one, and then you have that weird, like, oh, should he have two? And I've talked about that with acting. I don't really care. Like, if you deserve it, you deserve it. But I do for another one is kind of silly. It's a little different maybe with filmmakers, just because they made so many, like, quote-unquote masterpieces and there's so much more going on there so it would be interesting to have a directing one and a writing one for him though interesting also because he so infrequently writes it's it's maybe four or five scripts over the course of his career yeah yeah and a handful of them are early on i think the last one he co-wrote i don't even think it was gangs in new york it might be the age of innocence maybe Maybe, because I know he co-wrote Goodfellas, but I'm trying to think if he did anything after that. I don't know. He, But early on, he was co-writing or, yeah. or solo writing. And I think it was kind of like once Schrader came on board and be like, oh, he's my guy. He was like, I'll focus on directing. You're just as messed up as I am. Let's go for it. And then a beautiful fucked up partnership was made. But to get back to the category, you have Scorsese right there with Eric Roth. Um, Poor Things is the is the favorite team, right? So Yorgos didn't write it, but um, the writer of The Favorite did it again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some might say that that film deserved a win over Green Book and Adapted Screenplay. Some might. Some might. Some might also just forget that happened and assume it already happened because nobody thinks that was a good win. Um, we don't know what Poor Things will do. It's going to go to Venice and probably elsewhere. Uh, Oppenheimer right there. These, so this is my predictions right now. And then I have Barbie there. So those t- those four seem pretty strong. And that fifth one, who's to say? Flint Strong, Ferrari, Dumb Money, Mexico Wins, Zone of Interest, Color Purple, Dune, and so on. You know, whatever is, uh, you know, maybe Blackberry comes on strong. There's no way to know. Plus, we don't know what's up for di- for. Uh, being acquired at festivals. So top heavy adapted screenplay lineup. Original. No, but go, go ahead. No, that was it. 
I was just like, uh, in terms of like, let's say if Barbie can like trick them a little bit, because this kind of feels like a whiplash thing where it's going to end up back and adapted even if it goes original. Right now, I have air winning, which totally can happen. But beyond that, you have Maestro and Saltburn. I don't know that Bradley Cooper is necessarily winning an, uh, a writing Oscar. Emerald Fennel just won. Past Lives is hanging around, but that, that kind of feels more like a nominee than a winner, at least right now. But who knows? And then, you know, you could you could have Iron Claw. You can have Alexander Payne's Holdovers. You can have May, December. You can have Anatomy of a Fall. But you, it feels a little thinner. The old-fashioned adapted is heavier than, than original. But also, they both feel top-heavy right now in that there's room for either. And that's just interesting. I don't know what's going to come of that yet. No? TBD? Exactly. Which kind of leads us into the end of that, which is I think Nolan would win for director if it was going to happen. Yeah, that's because, where I'm leaning. All right, screenplays don't also get the attention in the same way. We don't hear about the steamrolling screenplay, even though oftentimes that is the case. But then there's also the quirk of inevitably it's not eligible for something, whether it's BAFTA, whether it's WGA. There's always a place where something's not eligible, right? So you, you do always get another winner. Or it's a place that only gives out one screenplay prize and you end up losing to your opponent that you're not competing against. So that's a whole a whole thing. Whereas director, you can have a, oh, Nolan just wins everything. Scorsese just wins everything. That kind of thing. Sure. Um, and right now, I have Nolan winning. I have Scorsese at two. I have Affleck at three because I still think Air is going to be a thing, but that could easily go by the wayside. We'll see. I have Bradley Cooper making up for that miss, and I have Emerald Fennel. So that's a that's a solid five, and it doesn't even take into account Villeneuve, Yorgos, either of the Cannes films. You know, Jonathan Glazer's Zone of Interest. Um, you have the Iron Claw, Sean Durkin. You have Celine Song. You have Alexander Payne, Michael Mann, Taika Waititi, Fincher. So it, it very Greta Gerwig. So it, director is probably more competitive, but director does often become a coronation. Yeah. So, make of that what you will. Now, to finish off, and then we can, um, I guess, get into Barbenheimer. Would you like to, um, how about you, can you rank Nolan without Oppenheimer at the start, and then add it in? Uh, or do you want to hold back and just do it Do it after? Either way. I mean, it, you. it's in a very we'll, specific we'll, we'll, spot. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to do it. So, you know what, let's, let's do it after, we, after you talk Oppenheimer. Sure. So uh, hang tight, Matthew. Uh, so yes, we uh, are going to do both movies, but we're going to do them Barbenheimer style because if you look on the site, uh, Miles reviewed the experience, yes. which I did not do, but Miles did and many of you did. So I, uh, I think we should sort of get into that now and then we'll pivot back to some other questions that we have and uh, one or two small things that we're going to talk about. Um, so... Did you quickly, did you do anything else besides Barbenheimer movie-wise? Or was it just, was it a Barbenheimer weekend? It, it was, yeah, it was full Barbenheimer. Mm, did the full Barb. All right. I uh, I cede the floor to you. All right. Well, yes. Yeah, so we uh, we decided early on that we're going to start with uh, Oppenheimer first, Barbie second. You know, we have our dinner before mm-hmm. our dessert, etc. Yeah, I would have been, I would have uh, had anyone ask me. I would, uh, it's a... It's also just a wild thing to 
make the three-hour movie second beyond the tonal shift. Yeah, no. And having done it both ways now, uh, we were right the first way. There's not really any benefit to doing it the other way. It doesn't do Oppenheimer any favors. Um, no. It's just, yeah, it's, no. it's, it's a less than ideal way to do it. I mean, listen, it's always I mean, I, been a quirky mismatch double feature. That's part of the charm of it. Um, I mean, I saw it, I saw it, you know, 24 hours apart and Oppenheimer was the second, but that's, that's a very different beast. That's you're hyped for another great movie, hopefully, as opposed to, okay, let's do it again. I, I don't know. I, I think they're also, and you can talk to this, they're such singular films that in a way you can't possibly, you know, see the same thing twice. So it's going to be a different experience, but also they kind of deserve their own platform. I love that people are doing it because it rising tide lifts all ships. But in a way you kind of, I like that you took a break because these like back to back things I feel like it's not fair to the movies. Like, you kind of want to sit on both of these movies a little bit and think. Oh, well, I'm really glad we did, especially with Oppenheimer first, because this movie gives you so much to chew on, and there's just so much to think about and get into, both as you're watching it and in the hours and days afterwards. Um, That, yeah, it's... Of the two, it's definitely the one I found myself dwelling on the most sort of post-screening. Spoiler alert, it is my new favorite film of 2023. I I think this is Nolan at the height of his powers, especially for me when he's kind of... We'll get into it with the rankings, but, you know, he's he's had a few that are sort of not quite at the height of what I think I know he's capable of. And so for something like this to kind of come back to full strength is really exhilarating to see, especially when it's not a very commercial movie on the outset. And yet he makes back to back scenes of just people talking in dingy rooms, riveting like it's a three hour movie that does not feel like it. I didn't think. Um, yeah. It's got so many moving pieces. It jumps around in time, but and it's got a million different characters. But for me, it never became confusing. Um, it it he finds a way to you know use various little tricks. Like I love how it's got an insane ensemble cast of character actors, some of whom will only be in one or two scenes or have one or two lines. But it it genuinely does help with keeping track of everyone because you can be like, oh, I know that guy. That's David Desmalchian or whoever. Yes, isn't isn't that fascinating? That like you saw the cast list right last year, even into this year, I think sometimes they were like, we're almost done shooting, but here's more people involved. And you're like, well, what is Josh Hartnett doing in this movie? What is Betty Safdie doing? And like, as you watch, like you said, it's so useful because you're never going to remember all their names. Granted, they're almost all real people. But unless you you have a huge backing in science, you're not going to necessarily know where they, la- they they fit into the the world of the film. But you can go. Oh, Matthew Modine. Okay, so when I see Matthew Modine, I know we're we're doing this section. When I see Jason Clark, I know we're back in the interrogation room. Right. Exactly. It's 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 kind of ingenious while also letting Nolan kind of be the like a list filmmaker, have the big dick, and go. Well, I want everyone. Anyone who wants to be in one of my movies, fuck yeah, let's do it. Like yeah. I was reading. Um, the uh, there's that Twitter account that gives like the little mini oral histories of all the movies released on that day. And they were doing uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Margot Robbie apparently, like, wrote a letter to Tarantino being like, I'd love to be in one of your movies one day. And he was like, oh, I got a role for you. Like, great. I got to imagine people mentioned to Nolan, like, I would be it. I would do anything in one of your movies. And this is the epitome of, oh, you'll do anything? Well, it's not going to be a big part, but almost everyone's going to have something important to do. Like, with Josh Peck, like, in massively important scenes. 
Yeah, like not a major role, but he's in one of the key, like he's central to one of the most important moments in the movie. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of fascinating. Well, and they split- Alex Wolf is in like the background of two scenes essentially. Yeah, exactly. Like the, it's it's so many people, and yeah, most of them only get like a few moments, but it creates this kind of fascinating texture of like you really feel like the building of this scientific community, and we sort of like check in and out with people over the years, and sort of some people stay in Oppenheimer's life, some people you know are just relegated to a certain era but it's kind of fascinating it's, to see the ways that certain relationships develop over time yeah. and and it's, sometimes it's just as purposeful which relationships mm. don't develop oh yeah it's good it's good also shorthand for reminding you that everyone in this movie for the most part but this is an overwhelmingly true statement is a genius in the top of their field and is a in their own way a famous individual yeah. in the fields that they're working in so by having a name there's a little bit of like gravitas that you wouldn't necessarily have if no offense if like you got one of those roles no totally right? it's not, totally there's, well, there's something well, too well, it's funny I mean, you should we'll say. see what you would have done <laughs> um, exactly i know what i was doing by saying that but having the focus be okay Here's all these background scientists, right? And they're geniuses too. But the ones in the foreground that are people you go, oh, that guy. Like this is really like a that guy movie. <laughs> Ironically, for being a A-list blockbuster, it's also a that guy movie. And anyone who's a that guy, you go, okay, they're definitely important to something in science. And I guarantee you if you if you look up the names, every single one of them is a notable contributor that somebody is like, that's my science hero. And they were probably mentioned on the Big Bang Theory. And yet there are four scenes with Olivia Thurlby. And glad she's in it. But it's such a oddly considered choice that I, I think people did not realize until they saw the film. Yeah. Yeah, no, so yeah, I, back, I think, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's so incredibly stacked. That said, you know, for all the various that guys that are sort of, you know, filling it out, you know, a movie like this very much rises and falls with the performance at its center. And I mean, talk, talk about something that was just sort of fated to happen. Um, you know, Killian Murphy working with Nolan for five films before this one, and now finally stepping up to the lead. It's one of those things where it's like, those of us who've known have known for a long time how amazing of an actor he is, you know, sure. f- from everything from 28 Days Later to Sunshine to Peaky Blinders to Red Eye to the Scarecrow, you name it. Like, he's always been great. And we've always known that he's capable of performance like this. But it's it's so it's less of a revelation and more of a confirmation um, but yeah, he's he's every bit as spectacular as you would imagine he would be like he, he carries the weight of it on his shoulders, but is reserved and like thoughtful at the same time. There's a lot of quiet interior life. But, you know, Nolan is smart about making the most of the IMAX film cinematography sure. to really, you know, you feel like you're in his head. And, you know, there's a lot of the Terrence Malick style cutting to the um, the quantum sort of visuals uh, to sort of really put you in that perspective. Um, but, yeah, Murphy is just you're with him every step of the way. And, you know, he doesn't, you know, there's no effort to make the character super likable. And he definitely makes some very questionable choices throughout. Um, yes. But you're 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 still engaged with him as like a figure of interest, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Pop quiz, I, go for it. No Oscar nominations, one Golden Globe nomination. What's the film? Breakfast on Pluto. There you go. Good job. A movie six people saw. I'm one but, of them. 
Exactly. It's but it, it speaks to this is an actor who is an actor's actor who, if you look at his resume, is rarely given this sort of role. So it, it does take a guy who knows him to say, you know what? It's your time. And we, we don't uh, I don't think we recognize that enough. You know, too often actors don't get a it's your time role. Yeah, so it's uh, it's also just heartening to see. Also, Loki in A Quiet Place Part 2 reunion. Yeah, and I think that shorthand with him and Emily Blunt helps. I will say I was a little... If, if I have one thing, the closest thing I have to a nitpick mm. is that... And this has been a problem throughout Nolan's filmography. Is uh, I still think the female roles in general leave a lot to be desired. Um, you know, Florence Pugh makes the most of her small handful of scenes. You know, she's on par with all the other that guys in that regard. But it, yeah. you notice it more because there's so few female roles. Same with Olivia Thrillby. I think there could have been more interesting stuff to do with that character. But you get what you get. Um, mm. But I think it's most notable with Emily Blunt because she's present in a lot of scenes, but she really doesn't get to do much of anything. She has the one big scene, which you talked about last week and which everyone's been yeah. talking about. And I don't know, man, it's a good scene, but it's not this epic barn burner of a scene that I think I was led to believe it was. I, it's fine, I, but it doesn't really move the needle and it's come so late in the game and it doesn't really affect anything in the larger scheme. So it's just like, oh, okay, she tells him off, but he still wins anyway. So it's like, all yeah. right. <laughs> well, no, I think, it, I think it's more that you need that to happen just for your own sake. And I guess I, I just didn't think it accomplished enough. Like, I, I don't I mean, I, it's, it's this, notable you know what it is? for... It's notable for it's, being the only scene that she gets to really do anything, but that there's that. So I think that is literally all it is for me is like, oh, good, she's not completely wasted, just mostly mm. wasted. Fair. I mean, I, I like that scene a little more than you do, but you know what it also is? It's what we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's uh, Nolan the populist. It's you know what I don't have yet. I don't have that audience applause moment, and she's gonna have it, and I'm gonna give it to her. And I think it's inc- it's almost incidental that she gets it, but that is the one scene meant for like the audience to to hoot and holler a little bit. But yeah, I because I, obviously I get that Oppenheimer's not going to do it. I get that, and it's very clear in the presentation that that's what the scene's meant to be. I think my thing is I don't think it succeeds. I don't think that's what that scene accomplishes. I think all it is is, oh, okay, she's not completely useless. Because they let her be kind of drunk and a bad mother and sort of off to the side. You know, they yeah. they let her. You know, she's the housewife but she's every now and then she'll be like oh but i'm like you know kind of a rebellious housewife and i kind of do my own thing but like not enough to be interesting she has a couple of the scenes of like well why won't you fight back so they he does yeah it's the same scene over and over again though it's not like there's no nuance to it no it's it's clearly building up to this moment uh it is funny that you like the movie a little bit more than i but you like that scene a little bit less than i do well, I think it's just for me, maybe that's the one thing um, that was maybe built up for me that didn't land on expectations because everything else about the overall experience, I would say, did. But that was just the one thing where I was expecting this big, incredible scene. And it's just like, OK, like, you know, she kind of called him out a little bit, but it's such a short scene. It just I don't feel like it gets the chance to become that big crowd pleaser scene that it's supposed to be. 
Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is this is not a uh, a huge issue, and clearly no, that's it's a- definitely not. And also, like I've you know, we were talking about nominations. If she gets a supporting actress nomination for this, I won't be upset. Frankly, because it's absurd that she doesn't have a nomination yet. But totally. you know, I'm I'm not going to be mad about it. It's it'll service as the Oscar scene. I just. Especially because, you know, she is a step in the right direction as far as Nolan not being great with female characters. You just wish she moved the needle a little further. That's fair. I mean, up until then, I was like, oh, no. I think maybe I think maybe the difference in reaction is we had the same reaction until that moment. And it just won me over a little bit more. But in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, like very minor. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., nice to remember that he is a great actor and not just Tony Stark. And like, you know, it it took me a little bit to like get used to the voice he was doing. True. Um, He he sounded like asleep for a little bit. You're like, oh, no, this is just what he sounds like when he's not doing Tony Stark. Yeah, no. He well, he's he's, he's doing, doing a character. Stark. He's doing a. Yeah. He's he's making choices in a way that doesn't just feel like it's him on the press junket or whatever. Like this is a character, and th- there's. It's interesting that the movie chooses to focus so much on him. Um, it, yeah. It, it eventually pays off at the end, but like you do spend quite a bit of it being like, why do we keep coming back to this guy? Um, yeah. But it does Which, eventually I, I think- pay off. You also trust, well, one, he's a big enough name that I think most people are like, well, I want to watch him. And two, it does give you um, the hint of where things are going in the, I guess, for lack of a better word, fourth act. Sure. Um, But yeah, there is there is a lot early on of of, he's just another guy that like Oppenheimer is being a dick to, but he just happens to be like a more famous guy than normal. And then, oh, he's he's going for like a confirmation, and and clearly he was, uh, I guess at the beginning they make it seem like he was a resistant uh, player in the uh, somewhat downfall of Oppenheimer until his uh, his heel turn in the in the uh, final minutes. Which now there, I'm going to say when Robert Downey Jr. gets nominated, it's probably for that scene. Oh yeah, well no, that's the scene that lets him sort of because yeah no, like uh, Oppenheimer, he's very reserved for a lot of the film, but then that's the one that sort of lets him let loose, and we kind of get a real look at who that character is, and yeah, no, that's that's his clip scene, obviously. Um, but it's, it's, also a, it's a good such clip a relatable scene, and it's good performance in general. Exactly for a, for a movie that is about like the fate of humanity and the potential end of humanity, to have you know to whatever degree you want to consider. Uh, Robert Oppenheimer's downfall at the hands of Louis Strauss. It is basically because he didn't pay enough attention to me. Yeah, like he's well, super it's smart. For, it's and I'm for only the pettiest reason possible. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't. He wouldn't just let me. He wouldn't let me be in the club with him and Einstein. He like was a little mean to my son and his girlfriend or whatever at one point. And, like I wanted to be his friend, and he had better things to do. And like it just grew over decades. Because yeah. if you look, a lot of those scenes which is I think what makes the character so well done is he's not being a villain to him it never to his face it's always there are there are disagreements and stuff like that but it, it is always through the, the lens of like but we're working together but I think we're kind of friends like Oppenheimer has no use for him yeah but he has no use for a lot of people and I think Strauss doesn't realize that that it's not personal he just doesn't like anyone yeah. if anything he might like you better than people because he just has to deal with you more whereas for him, he's like, well, I want to collect famous friends and, and smart friends, and why won't you be my friend? And eventually it becomes, well, you know what? 
then the fuck you then. And that's just, it's massively relatable. Yeah. No, well, exactly. It's such a human reason to bring about the downfall of this great American figure and like the implication that like our governmental systems are kind of choked with people like that, and which, you know, we only see more and more evidence of every day. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's no. this kind of very sobering uh, reminder. Matt Damon too, very good. I like the the more comedic back and forths uh, he and Murphy get. Yeah, he he is he is for lack of a better word the comic relief in the movie. It's not it's not a funny movie necessarily, yeah. but it, it's a, it's a great juxtaposition of him once twice being like, "Don't worry, I'll have him killed." Nah, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, to then later on in the movie when the Casey Affleck character shows up and he's like apoplectic that Oppenheimer talked to him. He's like, "No, no, he does have people killed." by himself like no don't talk to him he will he will have people killed like don't you know i'm the safe one i'm the kind i'm the cuddly general it's uh, it's very funny in a dark way of just like oh that joke that he had that character make there's a not funny version of that that you're really walking the line of interacting with also just randomly but did you find it funny that uh, that the whole thing is introduced by Matt Damon going all right now this guy he's a real son of a bitch you don't want to have anything to do with him and then it's revealed to be Casey yeah. Affleck Oh yeah no I one I love that that's that cuz they're also friends Well that's like, my point life, yeah lifetime yeah lifetime friends and also like I was I think well, even Jerry. telling you that like yeah Jerry they've worked together his best friend is his older brother like known him all his life it's one of those things also of like you know Casey Affleck um, not unaware that he's uh, not the most popular guy of late because if you look he's kind of moved to smaller things and done his directing and kind of kind of let the dust settle more so okay I'll play the biggest prick in the movie just because that's going to do some of the work for me I wonder if Nolan even thought of that or if it was just like I like Casey Affleck I'm casting him again well or maybe I owe him after giving him exactly nothing to do in Interstellar that's true. He does. He he does. He does seem to like recasting an actor. There is some loyalty that I appreciate. Yeah. But although oddly, his first film in years with no Michael Caine. That's true. Though I don't know that there was a role because I was no, thinking about I, that. I, yeah, I can't think of who he would. Besides, like just one of the generals or someone in the back. Like in Dunkirk, he's like one of the guys on the radio. So you know, it's it, yeah. it doesn't have to be a big thing. But yeah, I don't know offhand who would have been. Well, good. Michael Caine. I forget I forget what quote I heard recently, but he he's the first one I think they'd be like, that's fine. Go make your whatever. It's okay. I'm not offended. But, you know, in a way that leaves those that guys to have more to do. Yeah. Like we didn't talk about and it's 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 one level down from the central performances we're talking about, but David Crumholtz might be the best work of his career. Oh, totally. Well, in some ways he's like the heart of the film. He's one of the most relatable and likable side characters. Yeah, he's the only one who Especially at the end when you can when you really are realizing how rigged this whole thing is and one person after another is brought over to essentially have to be like, I got no choice but to basically continue to like throw you under the bus even though we're friends and you know, which there's that that other thing that I do like Emily Blunt is when she gets pissed at him for shaking the guy's hand. Yeah. You shook yeah. his hand. Like that's well, that's that, a really well, that good like angry off. acting. That pays off towards the end as well. Although yes, that's I like that scene and I think in general the aging effects throughout are pretty seamless, with the exception being Emily Blunt and Benny Safty in that last scene. That was a little yeah. that was a little Ken Watanabe in Inception. <laughs> sure. That was that was Maybe a reshoot or maybe like last day. Like, we, you know what? We could we could add this. But 
Or it was um, a, it's going to be one shot and it's not worth it. Exactly. Like, this is the one time I will allow the producer, <laughs> I will allow Emma to get her way and save us a little bit of money. Yeah. But at the same time, Crumholtz's character is the only one that doesn't do that in the meeting. Well, yeah, his like his hair's thinning a little bit. That's it. Well, I meant in terms of like not going with the. Oh, yeah. No, he has his back like th- throughout, like when you get to the end and like various people are patting him on the back and shaking his hand and whatever. You kind of get the feeling that he's the only one who really deserves to be there. Yeah, because in the in the um, in the hearing, he's the only one who doesn't uh, cave. Like even Damon is like. Well, I mean, I have no choice but to say I wouldn't hire anyone given these guidelines, which is well, they yeah, just da- want to hear no. Damon, like, he doesn't help, but he does everything he can to, like, within the system to at least not, like, add on or, like. Yeah. Whereas Crumholtz is like, I'm not even going to, I don't care. I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear no matter what. Yeah. Like, that's just, this is, which is what he's been, like you said, he's the heart of the movie in some way. Throughout the movie, he's been the one to be like, well, don't compromise anything. Like, you're. Yeah. You should be able to call the shots. You should do what you're comfortable with. You should consider what you're actually doing here. He's the one who says, don't wear the fucking uniform. That's stupid. Put a hat on. Exactly. Yeah. It's clearly a movie that you can go on forever about, but we should we should move from the acting now to some other stuff in the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, cinematography, Ludwig Göransson's score, incredible, really keeps it moving. The editing, sound design, oh my gosh. I mean, if we want to talk about like one of the most suspenseful sequences in a movie in years everything to do with the trinity test yeah and then the aftermath the trinity test and you know a certain speech shortly afterwards mm. um just absolutely nerve shredding stuff really really compelling we well, you know what it is also with um the editing if you remember when tenant was announced and it was oh he's working with a little bit more of like an indie crew like he's like this should reinvigorate him and we watched tenant went all right, whatever. Not so I much. Think that, that it kind of swallowed up everyone. This feels like I, I I don't know that it mattered necessarily, but you get the sense that having a newer set of eyes kind of kept him like laser focused. It's three hours, but it moves. Yeah, exactly. There there isn't really a lull, which is almost impossible. There's a couple periods where you're like, okay, what's where are we going? And then it, it, it gets there, but you're never bored. Sure. And it is a three hour biopic. Like, this is not that far removed from like the theory of everything. Or a beautiful mind or something like that. Beautiful yeah. mind, uh, imitation game, like movies that. Social Network. They're not bad movies. Well, Social Network's a great movie, but I was thinking of just like the more mediocre, sure, sure. solid, like shameless Oscar bait, where there are moments where you're like, how long does this have? All right, okay, the acting's really good. I'm fine. But. You, the only thing the movie has that even resembles that is about 15 minutes at the beginning of just like him at university kind of thing. Sure, but they move past that pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. He's clearly like, there's no way I can't do this because he needs to meet some people, but we're going to get past this. Don't worry. Like, just stay with me. He he doesn't, that's why he doesn't return to that. He returns a lot of stuff, but he makes a very smart decision to not return to that, which also could be Jennifer Lamb. As the editor, like being like, well, if we return there, you're killing momentum. Everything else you're doing is building momentum or 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 keeping the momentum. There's never a down tick. Yeah. Um, So she that that editing. Well, I don't know. We were talking about earlier with cinematography and editing. If they can win, they should be set for nominations. I would hope. However, I think can win. Oh, easily, easily. Well, and he's won before. They they've they I feel like with composers, maybe more so they're not shy about heaping on multiple wins. John Williams. Yeah. 
was he was he at 50 where's he at now give or take what's he doing yeah like yeah, they don't they don't care uh especially in that category oddly your hardest part is getting nominated once you get nominated it's easy to give you a win sometimes they just skip you if you're uh, a prior winner and they're not going to give you a win but no i think i think walking in that's maybe the most likely win for this film yeah i would say so. that and sound design or just sound, sound. i guess yeah i mean give or take what what happens with sound this year but i could see sound easily being the other one um what do you think here's the one i can't figure out and may come into play because it could determine just how many nominations it ends up with visual effects um it's interesting right i like the fact that uh, the quantum mechanics and sort of the abstract visuals that he sees, especially throughout the early section, the fact that that's all rendered practically is something that I find kind of fascinating and sort of impressive. Um, and the Trinity test has some cool moments, but yeah, it's not really a special effects showcase in the way that most of his other films have been. So it depends how competitive it is. Cause like, I, well, yeah, I mean, it's dunes to lose. I would assume probably let me let me let me look do i have it's early enough that i don't know what my prediction i don't remember my predictions because i I would say it would definitely be in the conversation but like it would need to be kind of a weak year for it to be guaranteed a nomination yeah yeah. it's the it's the one category that i don't think counts as a snub i have dune winning i have guardians in there I think the first one got nominated, right? Or did the first two get nominated? First one. I don't know about the second one. Yeah, like that's not going to win, but I think Marvel There's usually has at least okay. one Marvel in there, yeah. yeah. I have Oppenheimer 3. I have the Marvels 4, which who knows. And then I have Rebel Moon 5. Yeah. So that tells you where we are. Because I have, I have Mission Impossible 6. I will, I will remind people Mission Impossible has never gotten an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. So don't necessarily expect one, especially considering... It's going to have to sort of deal with the was it underwhelming box office wise conversation. It's at least not getting helped in terms of being a juggernaut. Um, Poor things. We have no idea how much that production design is visual effects or not. Also, how much they like it. Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm sure there's visual effects to recreate some of the period settings. But again, that goes back to how much they have, how much they play that up. Um, I have that Hunger Games prequel. And then my, my 10 is actually Cocaine Bear. Yeah. The bear is a fucking CGI effect. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it also tells you there's not a ton of big kind of things. Like, at that point, you start to go, like, well, the, how much of Spider-Verse counts? Right. And and that's a hard conversation to have because you're asking people who couldn't figure out two different kinds of sound let alone oh things that look like it's a cartoon but it's visual like you you know how much they struggle with that when it's not um i guess stop motion kind of is the one exception sure where they can can kind of explain it kubo and i and i think even some of the other stuff maybe threaded the needle a little bit you know nightmare before christmas and things like that exactly we'll see but yeah no oppenheimer uh nearly perfect yeah i would say i would call it a masterpiece uh, it is it is without question one of his best films. Where it ranks? Well, why don't we do that now? I've got mine uh, ready if you do, which is good because then we can we can take we, this is the break. We'll take a question, much like you took a break during Barbenheimer. Ah. There we go. Uh, all right, twelve to one. My number twelve is following. My number twelve is Tenet. My number eleven is Tenet. My number eleven is Interstellar. 
Interesting. So uh, we can both, we'll talk about Tenant real quick. I, I mean, it's interesting that I have following lower because Tenant is, I think, his one misfire. But plenty of it does work as like an action se- action sequences and like it's not unentertaining. Tenant has that problem of you're like, well, I thought there'd be more. And also, was I going to get COVID to go watch it? So it's kind of, that's a movie that I think, I don't know that it's up for like, reinterpretation anytime soon but i think in a couple years or maybe one more nolan movie away would be interesting to watch again maybe very removed from what you think about it at the moment no i will definitely go back to it one day and i i i think my reaction to it has a lot less to do with all the covid stuff and just the stuff around and more just i know nolan is capable of better and more interesting stuff so while you know the chase sequences and the action and the execution of the special effects is very impressive. There's just not as much meat on the bones and there's like zero characterization and the plot is just kind of twists itself into knots, but also keeps telling you not to worry about it, but also keeps presenting you with more information to worry about. It's just so unfocused and it's so like, it just feels like a mishmash of scenes he wanted to do like in a way that his stuff almost never does. So I think for me, Because, you know, and we'll get it. I mean, we can touch on following real quick. Yeah, it's a first film. It's, you know, it's, you know, him figuring himself out. But it's a great first film in the sense that a lot of his style and a lot of his hallmarks are already there, ready to go. Oh, yeah. Um, Time. It's it's it for me. It's almost a student film. Because it totally. is very, very well, it small. It has that vibe about it for sure. But yeah, I he think he shot it on like weekends, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't over it the almost course shot of a like year? A yeah. Yeah. So like, I think it, it gets that asterisk of its not that it's barely a film in the critique of the sense, but it's it's so clearly like here's what I can do right now, sure. so I can get to make something else. But I think and even tenant- with that caveat, it still is a more is more coherent in what it's doing than sure. Tenant is. Oh yeah, Tenant. You know what Tenant is. Tenet is evidence to me that he would make a good Bond film because take this movie, but shred the characterization narrative, all that stuff, take it out and replace it with Bond. And it totally works and for sure. Exactly. Because because he the but it stuff almost that he doesn't like want to deal with too obvious of a choice to. at this point. And also like three out of the last five Bond films were just aping his style anyway. So exactly. So that's why he keeps saying like, you know, never say never because he's like, well, they kind of want me to make a movie and I kind of want it, but I can do my version. Like, I mean, Tenant, if Tenant was a reintroduction of Bond, right? Right. And it was John David Washington. And instead of sci- instead of the sci-fi like kind of time travel element, it had something a little more grounded, but he had to add in Bond isms and bond characterization that just is the boring shit where he'd like mm-hmm. he'd co-write it like you'd be like oh Purvis and Wade are co-writing the, the new Nolan movie he just like assigned them to do it it would work yeah could work but at the same time I wonder whether he'd be able to help himself from just he needs to have that extra wrinkle he needs to have that extra like you know messing around the chronology or like some sort of extra sci-fi gimmick or some sort of something he can't just do a straightforward thing anymore I don't think for sure uh, so yeah I think I think following and tenant are, are sort of lesser um, interstellar let's come back to because we have such divergent topics uh, reaction to it and we've talked about it um, my number 10 is the prestige my number 10 is following all right, cool. So that works out well. Uh, nine is Insomnia. Nine is Dunkirk. Ooh, interesting that that's that low. Um, prestige for me is low just because it's 
it's quality. It's just it, it's it's one that I just don't come back to very often. It's a palate cleanser for him. Like sure. it's clearly a like I just want to do something completely different from Batman, and then I'll get back to Batman. For for the longest time, the Prestige was at the bottom of my list, and I think because I've gone back to it a few times in the years since, for one reason or another. It's actually moved up a fair bit, as we'll find out in a bit. It's still not in the top like half of his filmography for me, but it's somewhere comfortably in the middle. It's it's good stuff. It's well done. It's maybe not as clever as it thinks it is. Yes, there is that. Yeah, it it didn't uh, it didn't blow me away or anything. Yeah. Um, whereas number nine, Insomnia, we talked about last week. I just it's well done. I kind of wish. It wasn't a for hire, like just director gig, but Robin Williams makes that work for me. Sure. We'll get into it in a second, but I love that one a lot more than most people. Yeah. We ha- we each have one that we like more than most and then one that's a little lower than each week. So it works out. Yeah. Um, my eight is Batman Begins. Same. Exactly. We, we've talked about Batman Begins. It's a it's one of the great origin stories, but yes. it is still an origin story. And it is the least of the Dark Knight trilogy. For me, there's two very specific reasons. One of which is that he has not quite figured out how to direct action yet at that point. So it's a yeah, lot like of we, like yeah. really like Bourne-esque sort of shaky cam close cut. Just really sort of visually incomprehensible. And it well, there's, does. There's d- diminishing returns to it. The first when he fir- that first scene on the with the shipping crates, I think works for that. Because like, holy shit, he's yeah, fast. Yeah, but and we when every fight scene is done that way way including the ones in like daylight then yeah it doesn't really yes and then the third act where you're like that's exactly what is going on as soon as it becomes about liam neeson's plot to gas the city the plot kind of loses me yeah so it's it's good but yeah it's missing it's it's still finding some of the pieces um so here's here's where we uh here's my big thing my seven and six so my seven, my six is Dunkirk. So we can talk about Dunkirk in a second, right? And I think it's the least of the um, top tier, which means that my seven, just outside the top tier, is Inception. Oh, man. Interesting. Yeah. And I have no complaints about Inception is the thing. I don't see a flaw. I enjoy it. I just, it didn't grab me in the same sense. Like, I remember very clearly like everyone else being super excited for it this was um early enough that i didn't have um a screening invite so i went like opening night might even i don't know if it might have even been a no it was friday because i remember it was super late like a friday midnight show and and didn't dislike it or anything liked it just fine but i had a little tiny bit of like i thought this was gonna like change my dna and it didn't and i know it does for most Interesting. So I have, there's, well, there's no complaints. It's just, you know, some people like white bread, some people like rye bread. Sure. No, well, it's interesting that you say that because I would say that's my exact same thing with uh, Dunkirk, where sure. it's incredibly well put together, you know, on a technical level, it's flawless, you know, it's, it's gripping, it's tense, it's doing everything right. But I just... I find myself with so little lasting impression of it. It's it's the, probably the one I think about the least in his filmography, good or bad. Mm. Well, it's his most um, rigid movie, I think. Yeah, when well, very... it feels anonymous, I think the lack of any characterization really hurts it for me because I understand what he's doing and why he did it that way, but it does yeah. just mean there's nobody for you to really latch on to. 
Sure. It's almost a movie that would have benefited from the names kind of thing. Yeah. In a way that like like if Dunkirk had been a that guy movie more, I think it would have helped. Whereas you're watching and especially the lead, you're like, okay, I, I think I remember who he is throughout the scenes because there are times where you're like, wait, who are we following now? Oh, yeah. Um, well, there's a handful of them that look quite similar. So that doesn't Exactly. Help. Which, again, is a choice. But I, I think what gives it the slight edge is is that the sense of almost every, you know, all-time auteur has to make a World War II film or at least a war movie. Sure. And it, and it was his challenge, I think, of like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I want to do my version. And it was... Well, it definitely almost, feels like that. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So uh, well, um, my uh, seven ahead, and yeah. six then. Uh, so seven is where I have the prestige. Okay. Um, so yeah, like upper end of the second half, I guess. Uh, number six, I have the Dark Knight Rises. Interesting. I know. I know you. Uh, I know you have the what most people have, which is it's very good, but then occasionally it's silly. Exactly. Yeah, and I think. And listen, I've gone on such an emotional roller coaster with that movie, but I think where I've sort of landed in the past however many years is that there are just big chunks of it that straight up don't work. But I think what elevates it above similar issues in Batman Begins is a the overall scope and scale and presentation is just better, but also mm. um like you say, the stuff that doesn't work ends up being more silly than like egregious, which just it makes it fun. You've got Tom Hardy's Bane sort of from the beginning, sort of setting like a slightly goofier tone, which, you know, it's it brings us a little closer to Adam West than I think anyone was expecting. But it works. It's a choice. And like yeah. at the end of the day, I respect a choice that's committed to. And I think because he's so unsettling while having that voice, you kind of go back and forth exactly. even in the scenes of like, well. Oh, well, he might tear someone apart, but also he sounds like he should be the butler. So jolly. Exactly. What a lovely singing voice, um, which is uh, a him improv. It's Tom Hardy improv, which I you don't think of uh, Nolan as an improv actor uh, director, but he was OK with it. All right. Our top fives. My number five. And the funny part is we've mentioned most of the films by now. There's only two movies neither of us have mentioned. And one of them is about to get mentioned. My number five is Memento. Interesting. Well, let's hold off on that one. But um, yes, my number five my num- is Insomnia. All right, cool. Yeah, we talked about it last week. Like it's 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 also I think the one that you is your like higher than most. Kind it, of thing. it is. And listen, I'm not going to say it's anything amazing, but it's just for what it's doing. It's doing an almost perfect version of it. And I think a studio uh, procedural essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for what that is. Yeah. Like it's because I watch a lot of those and, you know, there's a lot of like wannabe sevens or whatever around that time. I think it's definitely on the better side of that. I think Nolan still knows how to direct the hell out of it, but hasn't quite fallen into some of his more big budget vices yeah. yet. Well, he um, can't yet. Well, he can't. He still yet. has masters. Yeah. Um, well, yeah and he, then uh, when these are good, there, there, there's something about them. Exactly. It's it's got that juice, and uh, this one does. And yeah, Pacino, one of his great late career performances, I think. Robin yeah. Williams, so memorable despite having relatively little screen time, just because of how effortlessly creepy he is when he is there. Yeah. Um, in the same way that I think the reason prisoners is so well regarded and so good is it's so easy to make a mediocre version of these it's kind of it's almost hard to make a bad one because people love crime 
you know, sure. true crime is the biggest fucking thing in the world. So make a fake uh, fake uh, procedural. People love it. But yeah, you, you, you too often get the one where like, oh, the hook is good, but the actual like unraveling of the mystery or, or investigation or whatever leaves something to be desired. I'm thinking right. of like an eight millimeter, an eight millimeter. Exactly. Which I, I like eight millimeter, but you get the sense that movie should be like the most disturbing, darkest, like. It's, that was a going to be a Fincher movie, I believe, but he, he couldn't like he couldn't figure it out. Yeah, kind of thing. But like, you feel like it should be like that Fincher movie where people are just like, "I'm upset that I watch this." Right, right. Where so, it makes you feel kind of icky, but like in a good yeah, way. Exactly. This one makes you feel icky in a like mm, this is like a little too polished. Uh, Insomnia does not do that. My number four is The Dark Knight Rises. Right on. I, I, I'm I'm bigger on the big swing. In general, I like a big swing. So I was there for it. And I like the epic, like, nature of it. And the fact that he, like, pretty much until the very end, like, really foregoes the happy ending, which is kind of wild for the conclusion of, at the time, one of the biggest franchises ever. That it's, it's as kind of bleak to some degree as it is. Like, it, characters are dying and, and, and all that. I, I like that one more than than most it was on tv again recently and i i it's a it's a surprisingly fun watch for being like oftentimes a downer but that's no one well exactly it's it's the bombast and the the let's put on a show kind of energy is always there yeah um my number four is inception um i adore it it's one of those movies that you know if not for the length i would probably be re-watching it all the time um i just love the world that they create it's got such a killer cast uh once they get into uh sort of the thick of the heist then just you know possibly as sort of a warm-up for what he eventually does with oppenheimer but like the pace just sort of it's relentless and it's it's so engaging it very much feels like a warm-up of him doing like a bond style thing totally all right my number three is oppenheimer that's where oppenheimer falls okay my number three is the dark knight Mm, oh interesting so here here's where we're gonna start finding out some answers because my number two is interstellar (laughs) again with the slight caveat of I refuse to rewatch it because I love it so much, but one day I will and we'll see what happens, but it's going to be a very specific situation. I'm going to have to watch it with someone. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to like of my own accord be like, all right, two hours and 50 minutes of Interstellar, let's do it. I mean, maybe, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think that's unlikely, uh, which means my number one is The Dark Knight. Fair enough. Can't, I, it, it's, it's a, I would say... Oppenheimer is close to perfect for what it's doing, right? Yeah. I would argue that on a smaller scale, Memento is pretty perfect for what it's doing. And I think The Dark Knight for what it's doing is perfect. Like I have no – I don't think I have any complaints about that movie. Sure. So, yeah, for me, Dark Knight, yeah, when it came out, it was to me like the best thing ever made. Like it was so incredible. Like it changed my life. It like was a big part of getting me into a very specific kind of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, I still think it's amazing and very, very rewatchable. I think there's some things that are a little goofy in the third act, specifically the whole bit where like he's like trying to track down the Joker and like thermal vision or whatever. And the whole bit with sure. like the cell phones. Like, th- th- there's just some goofy tech towards the end that well, like um, most that, of oh, the movie had a... avoided up until that point. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I also haven't watched it in a while. It was on TV like a week or two ago. So I rewatched it. But it was until then I had a big break from it, which was nice. But I think that that scene at the time, it made me think of it this time. It even even more so it's a it's a at the time George W. Bush like free, you know, Patriot. Oh, Act totally, totally. Commentary. Which is the and that's seated throughout the movie. But I think the way they express it and specifically the way that it kind of needlessly incorporates itself into the action i feel like is the one note of the film that maybe doesn't land quite as well yeah uh, but it's still when you haven't it's seen it phenomenal yeah when you haven't seen it in a while because i watched it on tv where there were commercials and boy is that frustrating because you realize how how there's just one banger after another sequence like, the movie doesn't really take a break sure no absolutely one well, he's good at that as we've discovered yeah, no, he is his sustained interest is a when he's on. And I, I guess Tenet's really the only one that you, you have that break of like something's off. He he does it as well as anyone. Sure. And it's very hard to do. Like I remember, you know, I remember at the press conference for The Hateful Eight. And I know that's a, a movie that most people were like, eh, it's fine, whatever, or or less. There are some people who love it. I, I like it just fine. But I remember Tarantino saying, you know, you want to make a tense scene, right? And it's like, how can how long can you go before you lose the audience, right? Can can you do it for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes? And his his thing with the hate flight was like, well, if I can do a ten minute tense scene, and I've done that before, like he wrote the the true romance scene, right? What if I can do a a longer one? What if I can do a whole act? What if I can almost do a whole movie that's just one tense scene? And, and in a similar way, I think Nolan's idea is like, what if I can just continue ramping up the action and the stakes and, and and do it within different genres and different ideas like like Oppenheimer like you're almost white knuckling it by the end and yeah. nothing like more serious is happening you're just like oh my god like where, what's gonna happen and you know what's gonna happen it has to happen it's real yeah exactly but that's that's the magic of the filmmaking uh, yeah. which leads me to uh, at number two I have Oppenheimer um, nice. I think on balance, it may be his best film, certainly from a technical standpoint. Um, I don't think you can debut it at number one, though. No, it's hard for me to do that. I, th- I think for me, it, it is as high as it is because I kind of felt like after the one-two punch of Dark Knight and Inception, he kind of hadn't really operated on that same level again. And I like parts of the films that follow, but they all fell short for one reason or another. So to see him back at full strength, so to speak, um, I think was really pretty, you know, it, it was nice to see after all this time. Yeah, um, it's almost like he has a, you know, pretty hearty fan club. Exactly. Well, and I used to be such a rabid member of that fan club, and I kind of haven't been for a while. So it's nice to feel reinvigorated in that regard. I think I think also in some to some degree, we're both in the same boat. If we've kind of removed ourselves from most most fan clubs, as it were. Yeah, we just there's a the Internet is not a, a fun place for fandom anymore no and i'm i'm happy to uh, admire things from a little bit more of a far there i mean i also have that slight issue of at what point do you are you not really able to judge things properly if you're if you're deep into it but also i just if you're that into anything i'm a little less interested in, in talking to you it's not a it's not a it's not people who listen to us it's not that kind of sense but you know the ones who, who like yeah 
leave that comment on on a website. Do do this thing, that thing. I, I don't even want to give an example because it's bad behavior and I won't reward it. But we all know what it is. Yeah. And it's it's a lack of self-awareness at, at best. I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. But no matter what you like, who you like, who you dislike, just don't do that. No. Like the world is so much better of a place. Like think like think about it. Think of how much pure it used to be to be like, my favorite filmmaker is Christopher Nolan. It's Peter Jackson, it's Guillermo del Toro, it's Kevin Smith, it's whoever high, low, whatever the thing was, right? But now it's one, it has to be that they're the best ever and everyone else is shitty. And then also it means someone else has to comment about how that person you like is shitty. And it's just it's it's a dumpster fire. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, so circle all back around. So by process of elimination, my number yeah. one is Memento. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's in my top five films of all time. It's always held a special place in my heart. It's one of the films that made me decide I wanted to make films. Um, mm. It's yeah, it's one of those things where I can't like I don't know that I can look at it objectively. I've seen it so many times and analyzed like every single scene. Like it was a film school sure. favorite for me. So yeah, that's it's, it would take something incredibly seismic to move that from my number one. Totally. Do you think, are we in an era where there are less movies of that ilk that make people want to make movies? I think considerably. Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, because so again, many movies that come out now, even the best ones, tend to be aping the newer stuff that was coming out just a decade or so ago. I was I was recently thinking about this because you know whether you agree or not, like there was a generation of filmmakers who watched certain films, right, and went, "I want to do that." And you know, Kevin Smith will joke about it. Clerks was the movie that launched a shitty, uh, a thousand shitty movies. People went, "That's a movie. I can do that." Hell, he watched Slacker and went, oh, I can do that. Pulp Fiction, right? Pulp Fiction launched a million very mediocre, like, too cute by half knockoffs, right? Right. Um, Memento. Oh, I can play with, like, structure in that way, and it still works, and it doesn't feel pretentious, right? There really isn't – I don't want to say that was the last one because I'm sure there has been more that do stuff. But there does seem to be a disconnect now with seeing a young, exciting filmmaker and going – not only do I love that, but I want to do that. You know, you don't really have that anymore. Even, even you know, it, it's more a, a thing. You know, I, I would think of like, we talked about Gosling last week with, uh, with Half Nelson, right? That style of filmmaking for a minute was very popular. Because, oh, a, a handheld camera, like a real, uh, a good high definition handheld camera. And it has, a, it has a mood to it. And suddenly we don't need, we're saving a lot of money. Okay, maybe we can make a movie. That movie costs two hundred and fifty grand or whatever. But you don't see a lot of that because even like everything, everywhere, all at once, right? That might be the most I want to do this movie of the last handful of years. Yeah, but that's not rational in the same way. Like the, the you it's still not need millions of dollars exactly. Whereas you know, Memento, the the three that we mentioned, right, are kind of three of the more notable '90s. Like, hey, anyone can make a movie if you have an idea. Right. And obviously some talent. But those three just require like an idea, essentially. A camera, an idea, some people, right? And a script. Just a thought I had recently. Yeah. Well, no, um, I think um, – because we were sort of uh, – that, that Spielberg quote has been going around lately of sort of, you know, a bunch of big blockbusters bombing back-to-back, sort of, you know, resetting the studio system. Because you look yeah. at like in decades past when like, you know – 
going back to like, you know, the 60s when like a lot of the standbys like war films and westerns and big musicals and stuff were face planning. And then suddenly mm-hmm. you start seeing the more avant-garde filmmakers of the 70s, which paves the way for Scorsese and Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and so on. And then you see that again in the 90s with the Tarantinos and the Coens and the Nolans and whoever. So it's it's one of those things that's kind of cyclical. So I feel like in some ways maybe we're overdue. I hope so. It's a, it's interesting when you have that kind of situation. Um, before we get into the back end of Barbenheimer, uh, quick palate cleanser for us. We we're just talking about fandom. Uh, we both had a nice little moment a couple days ago. Saw X, right? It's coming. Yay. Starting to, starting to, starting to tease us out. My, uh, my background movie. As many of you know, I usually have a movie on on mute playing in the background so I can look up from uh, from Skype here and there. And uh, it was it was a movie that turned into a movie. So I I, I put something on early knowing would be this and it's saw and I'm watching it. And I know exactly what's happening without the sound. And you know what? I we have no idea if the new one's going to be good or not, but it sure seems like a saw sequel. And it's got that feel. And it's and it's in it's like complicated chronology, like taking place between two and three, one and two. Right. Or two and three. Uh, one and but, two. Uh, yeah. One and two. Oh, one and two right. Uh, Saw's back on its time jumping bullshit, and I am here for it. Oh, and it's a re- it's a revenge movie. Also, it it's sounds a, like it's an like... In, it's an interquel. It's a revenge movie. It's a prequel where he's going to be twenty years older, but look exactly. They're just gonna they're just gonna red dragon it. They're not going to acknowledge it at all. It's going to be great. Oh, it's it's going to be it's going to be very specifically for us. But I'm 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 very excited because also. If it's done right, it sounds like it's going to be maybe the first movie where you kind of root for Jigsaw. Like the traps are going to be on bad guys. Yeah. yeah, like that's an interesting change of pace because almost everyone. I'm trying to think if there's an exception. Where I guess kind of Hoffman, right? In terms of like, oh, I want the trap to go off. Sure. And maybe maybe the first guy in Spiral, even though you don't know it yet. Right. Right. He seems like he could be a douchebag. You don't find out until later that he's crooked. But everything else, if you ever wished for something to go off, it was because it was like, well, he's kind of a prick. <laughs> but other than that, you're 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 meant to like feel for these people before they're butchered. This exactly. could be the first one where it's like, eh, fuck that. What if what if John's just like taking revenge on people taking advantage of like dying cancer patients? I'm in because it sounds like it has a little bit of a Saw Six vibe. Yeah, potentially. We'll see. We know nothing about it beyond what we've what everyone's been told so far, but we'll we'll know more soon. And I am uh, I am here for it. So let's uh, let's take a question. While I pull them up, um, you know the how every movie this year is about a toy or a product or a thing the, that the, we're revisiting. The brand biopic. Yeah. So I watched the the Beanie Bubble this week. Mm. Diminishing returns. I think we've reached. <laughs> oh dear. Like it's not a bad movie, but uh, the. I wanted more, whereas I, I feel like with BlackBerry, they had a real interesting in, you know, air is obviously phenomenal. I even think like Flamin' Hot for being like completely made up, essentially, is traditionally entertaining in that like rags to riches story. And and I'm starting to get the sense of we need a new get. We need a gimmick to these. Right. Otherwise, there's too many of them. All right. So let's do. Carefully to await. Filmaholic face-off. Which performance from a Christopher Nolan film do you like better? Robin Williams in Insomnia or Barry Keegan, Dunkirk? 
Uh, Williams. It's one of my favorite Robin Williams performances. Keegan's good, but there's just not enough to that character. I agree. Um, Michael Caine in The Dark Knight Rises. Robert Pattinson, Tenet. Um, I want to like Robert Pattinson, Tenet more, but I, similar thing. I just don't think there's so much there, and I think the actor's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, so sure. I got to go Kane and Rises, because also it's like one of his best Nolan performances. Yep. Uh, Hugh Jackman, The Prestige. Christian Bale, Batman Begins. Um, I've always felt like Hugh Jackman was a little uneven in The Prestige. Not bad, just like not on as sure footing. So I'm going to go Christian Bale here. I actually agree. And and part of that is I like the movie better. But yeah, Jackman's not bad, but it it wasn't like now when you get Hugh Jackman, you get the sense of like this is a heavyweight. Yeah. He was still, I think, finding his footing as a charismatic leading man or playing down the, char- the charisma. It was still like... You get Hugh Jackman when you can't get someone else. Right. But you don't know who. Emily Blunt and Oppenheimer. Carrie Ann Moss Memento. Ooh, gotta be Carrie Ann Moss. I love that performance. I I think I agree. I like Emily Blunt better than better than you do, but I think the the overall quality is a little higher. The, the, I think that, the, that one the one scene might it. be higher still. That one has yeah. meat to it throughout the film, whereas Blunt, it's entirely contained to the one scene, really. Sure. Anne Hathaway, Interstellar. Marion Cotillard, Inception. Um, Anne Hathaway is fine in Interstellar, but she's not really someone you remember after the fact. Uh, Marion Cotillard, Inception. She's, she's doing a thing. She's good. She's got that femme fatale energy. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go Hathaway. I think. I mean, the answer is um, is Jessica Chastain in that movie. But um, oh, we have very different takes on that movie. Well, it, a lot of that is that scene that I like. But you know, um, these are not ones I have strong opinions about, though. Though I think Cotillard is kind of like a, a cipher, intentionally so. Um, Guy Pearce and Memento, or Christian Bale in The Prestige. Um, Christian Bale is very good in The Prestige. He might even be the best performance in the movie. Um, I like him and I like Scarlett Johansson in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm going to go Guy Pierce. I, I think it's wild that he's never worked with Nolan again because it's one of the best performances of his career, I think. Agreed. Though he makes very strange choices with his career. You're not wrong. Uh, yeah, so I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, McConaughey in Interstellar or DiCaprio in Inception? I do really like McConaughey in Interstellar. I think he's the the sort of the saving grace of the film in a lot of ways. Um, but I think I will go DiCaprio, uh, Inception. I think it's just a little more altogether. I'm, it probably helps that I like the movie better too, but I think it, his movie does better by him than McConaughey's does. Um, I think I'm the opposite because of liking the movie better and McConaughey's big re, you know, emotional scene is, is yeah, phenomenal. He, he has a big scene and it's a good scene. DiCaprio, DiCaprio is, is well cast in that, but it is. It felt like that was kind of of that ilk of DiCaprio before he got even more interesting, if that makes sense. Like, he was interesting, but wasn't at, like, where he is now, where he was like, oh, shit, DiCaprio. Sure. I was still I was still like, all right, I, I, I get it. But it wasn't Wolf of Wall Street, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like no, the, no, I wouldn't say it's up there necessarily. No, he is he has of late gotten way more interesting to me. He was still mostly intriguing me but there was there was a little bit of like you're still trying to prove something 
and I don't know that you need to. And I like that he doesn't feel the need to anymore. I guess that's the saving grace of the Revenant and got that out of his system. Yeah, exactly. And uh, finally, <laughs> you want to guess what this one is? I think I already saw it. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Okay, fine. Then I won't, I won't make a guess. Uh, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer or Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight? I mean, very well done because these are the two for me. These are yeah. the two best performances he's directed. Um, and it is kind of apples and oranges as well. <sighs> I'm going to go do, I'm going to go uh, Ledger if you want to split. Yeah, I mean, just because I, I, I find it so difficult to compare. I will go Murphy then uh, because I, because I think there's something about there, there's a, a sense of accomplishment at the end of that performance just because of the totality of everything he's asked to do. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree um, here. So let's let's pivot into the back end by doing a quick film hog face off from Ryan Jacqueline Duran films. Oh, dear. OK, well. You know why, obviously, and uh, we'll, we can go quickly because there, there's. I think most of these we have slightly less to say, um, but it'll be a good pivot into Barbie talk. So, Pride and Prejudice or Atonement? Okay, I I don't understand why Jacqueline Durand. Oh, she's the production designer for these. Oh, okay, all right. I okay, never mind. Um, we got there. So sorry, which version of the oh, sorry, the custom one, designer. Then? She's the custom designer for for Barbie and, oh, okay. and these films. Okay, I said so, production designer. My mistake. Um, so we're talking Keir Knightley, Pride and Prejudice. Yes, or Atonement. Or Atonement. Um, are we judging by the costume design? Whatever you want to do. You want to do costumes. You want to do a movie. Yeah, or I mean, we usually end up doing somewhere between. Um, exactly. I'll go Pride and Prejudice, not for any strong reason. I like the movie better. Sure. I, I'll go atonement for the same whatever reason. Happy go lucky or another year. Ugh, Mike Lee. <laughs> uh, I'll go happy go lucky. I quite like that one. I guess that's that's the one that doesn't make me want to slip my wrist watching his film. So sure. <laughs> but he is not my cup of tea. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or Darkest Hour. Um, I don't love either one. I think Tinker no. Tailor is better, but it frustrates me because I want to like it more than I do. Yeah. You do, um, and then you—it's just a little denser than it needs to be, almost. Yeah, just it's not. Yeah, it, it's yeah, definitely like, not worthy of its incredible cast. That's also true. Um, but uh, I, I, I yeah. guess I'll go that though, just because Darkest Hour, I have very little to say about. Exactly, it felt like an obligation almost. Yeah. Uh, Anna Karenina or Beauty and the Beast? Oh. Yeah. Uh, no strong feelings on either. I guess Anna Karenina because it feels like actual costumes. Sure. Macbeth or 1917? Are we talking Fassbender Macbeth? Uh, yeah, Fassbender, Cotillard, Macbeth. Interesting. Or uh, 1917, just across the board. Sure. Little Women or Cyrano? <sighs> There's some good costumes in Cyrano. Um, there is. I think Little Women's the better movie, but Cyrano has some really A-plus costume stuff. I think Cyrano's the better movie and has better costumes. All right. This is all run up for the last one, which you're going to be frustrated by. Barbie or the Batman? (laughs) It was just a build up to that. You know it. Oh, dear. Talk about apples and oranges. Um... 
I mean, you put you put me in a corner. I got to be honest. Then I, I'm gonna go with the Batman. Barbie has some of the best costumes of the year, and if it wins for costume design this year, I won't be mad at it. Yeah. But the Batman is just. I don't know. It's it's what I'm looking for. And I think given how many times some of those characters' costumes have been reinvented, they found new and interesting things to do with them, which is no easy feat at this point. Yeah. I'll go Barbie. But I have no objection to what you said. All right. The Barb of Barbenheimer. Also, what was your break like? Uh, it was pretty uneventful. We just uh, went home, walked the dog. Like it wasn't like we we were decompressing more than anything, but there wasn't anything interesting that happened. Fair enough. And then you went back. And then we went back into Barbie. Uh, and Barbie is delightful. It is, isn't it? Probably the funniest movie of the year. Um, there's several sections we were talking about. There's an opening, like, I want to say 20, 30 minutes in Barbie land. That's just a straight run of like one knockout gag after another. Um, and then, um, uh, later on there's the extended Ken battle slash musical number. That's an absolute riot. Um, so I would, I would add in the, the initial scene in Venice beach. Yeah. You like that more than I do. I, 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 I all it's of the real joke, world but stuff I, it is my major nitpick with the film. I'll just say outright. I think it mm. all feels like reheated leftovers of less interesting movies, and everything outside of that is so much more interesting that it felt I found it kind of jarring. That's fair. The two the two exceptions. The, so I I will agree that in the real world are my least elements of it. The two exceptions being the opening section there. The five minutes or so of just everything is different because that has a couple of lines I really like. And the short scene where the daughter just eviscerates the idea of a Barbie doll. Yeah. Because I'm I'm how this movie exists, how Mattel went. Yeah, sure. We'll pay for you to talk shit about our product. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll spend millions of dollars. You can call Barbie a fascist. Yeah, a fascist and the worst thing that happened to women in 50 years. Like, it, it's stunning that that didn't – I mean, and I've heard her talk about, like, there were some notes, but also, like, at the end of the day, they, they knew they weren't going to win them. Like, yeah. how often does that happen that Mattel is like, well, we did sign up for this. Well, in and, fairness, Mattel's only other movie is Masters of the Universe from the 80s. So maybe the thing that they learned was to not say anything. <laughs> well, they, they also tried to make this a couple times with people who couldn't um, yeah. figure out the take or weren't going to do their version. So it was just, I think, right place, right time of, wait, we can have Margot Robbie as Barbie? And the compromise, we have to just like stay out of it? All right, what's the worst that can happen? And then I guess when they checked in, they went, Oh, shit. But also maybe someone told them, like, this is, like, how are we allowing this? But, like, maybe this is really good also? Like, No, I mean, I'd be very interested in how the breakdown went. I mean, they literally used their logo to censor an F-bomb at one point. Yes, which is uh, that it does. It is it is it is, again, a studio film, but has what seems like no compromises from two indie auteur filmmakers. Well, and it takes the baton, arguably, from the Lego movie in terms of being a bit more open-minded about what an adaptation of this kind of property can be, and Mm -hmm. then, you know, runs with it a step further by going into, you know, 
you know, the ways in which Barbie has affected culture and has affected gender roles or has not affected things as much as maybe intended. And the ways that it really digs into that is, you know, kind of the underlying genius of the script, which is really silly and goofy and just sort of like nostalgic on the surface. But the second you dig into it, there's actually so much weight and like the way that it still keeps things mostly light while dealing with some pretty heavy subject matter is uh, is a pretty impressive balancing act throughout. Oh yeah, even 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 the third act, which is its most serious and emotional, and and got me. Um, you know, the last minute of the movie or so is pretty not heavy, but emotionally like affecting, and and a yeah. played very straight moment, which also leads to one of the funniest jokes in the movie. Oh yeah, totally. Like it it ends on a like in terms of last lines of a film, it's it's maybe up there already considering what it's saying and what it's doing and and how it even calls back to an earlier joke in the film. Yeah. Back well, on, I would on, I would argue uh, that I would argue that both of these movies have killer final lines. Oh yeah, well no, that you you almost forget that Oh, they have to come back to that Einstein scene, right? Because we don't yeah. it's they've made such a stink over well what what did he say that made him mad what did you say that made him mad at me? So you know it one has to be that he wasn't even referenced at all. Like you know he's not trying to trick you what that's about, but it's like what did they say? And if you think about it, you probably know, but hearing it from that person to that person. Yeah. And just, and just three the hours, weight that it lands with uh, it actually yeah. it inspired it inspired a Sunday Scariest. I was like, oh, this is kind of a horror movie. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit, a little bit, only a little bit, but enough that I got away with it. No one complained. No, no, it uh, it, it played well. Listen, the, the speech definitely plays like a scene from a horror movie. Exactly. Whereas with Barbie, I think so much of it is that it shouldn't exist. This movie shouldn't exist, which I know is like. Almost a backhanded compliment, but I don't think anyone means it that way. Everyone means it in that, like, it's such an uncompromised vision in a movie that is at least meant to be a toy commercial. Yeah, on some level. No, and that's exactly it. How something so singular and such a specific perspective got this far along without being so completely sanded down is genuinely incredible. Like oh, you, yeah. you um, feel like, and I'm, you know, maybe there were compromises made along the way, but it doesn't feel like it when you're watching it. It feels like they got to make exactly the movie they wanted to make. Also, like absolutely phenomenal production design. Everything about the design of Barbie Land, all of the practical effects, all the apparently, the, you know, the transitions between the worlds were all done practically, which I love. Um, you know, the way they do the dance numbers and the fight scenes and all these different things. Just there's so much imagination and sort of old school Hollywood charm on display that's really infectious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fact that like, People who don't know who Robert Town is are watching this movie and laughing at that joke or are watching these big Hollywood production numbers and just accepting it on face value and not realizing what they're what they're referencing, but still enjoying it is 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 rare. Like so much of this movie is is made for cinephiles in a way, but it's also yeah. playing to like 11 year old girls. Um, it also, you know, the um, America Ferrer's uh, big monologue is also going to live on forever at this point yeah i think almost immediately that got that got applause in my press screening oh yeah no instantly iconic that yeah and i i want to hear as much fervor for her and supporting actress as emily blunt quite frankly because that was a scene that i do think delivered on the hype 
I, I do I do think um, awards wise it acting wise it may end up being Gosling or nothing just because I think he will take up so much of the oxygen in that conversation. But it also oddly shortchanges Margot Robbie, who is spectacular here as well. Well, I was, yeah, I was about to say, like, doing some of her best work. So that that is my other... It's not even a criticism, per se, just more of an observation. But Because Gosling is phenomenal. Like, it, it is one of the all-time great comedic performances. Every moment is so perfect. And he's still got some great tragic emotional sincerity under the surface there because he's a good enough actor to sort of you know you get the full meal with the performance but it's so good that it does sometimes it threatens to feel steal focus and sometimes it just straight up does steal focus and it kind of reaches its zenith with that extended ken sequence which on the one hand for me at least is one of the highlights of the movie but on the other hand, you almost wonder: should be should the Kens be the highlight of the Barbie movie? It kind of it kind of wonders that it takes, for me at least, it takes away just a teensy bit from everything that's you know the script and sort of the concept is doing so well by letting the men sort of get so much of the spotlight for as long. Like it's preposterous to me. I mean, not surprising in the least, but still outrageous that people are, you know, being, Oh, this movie's anti-men. And uh, whereas like, if anything, I think the men get off pretty light. Like I think it could afford to be a little harder on man. I mean, to some degree, I I mean, I, I love that a movie that is like, you know what? Men and women should be equal and can do different things. Like the fact that it's having such a, if you think about the argument it's making, such a rational and down the middle argument is being labeled as like this like militant feminist film. You're like, really? That's where we're at in this world? Like the mere mention that the patriarchy is bad? Is, uh... Well, and that's the thing. It really it, it immediately highlights the people who went in with agenda versus the people who actually watch the movie. A hundred percent. Because also like Ken even at the end, that's one of my favorite lines also when he's like. Um, I found out it wasn't about horses. I kind of lost interest. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Well, also, there's this weird thing where because so much of the oxygen is taken up by by the Gosling praise, again, my favorite performance of the year. But there's a certain amount of people, we won't name names, we're not those type of people, but like instead of also being like, well, remember Margot Robbie, like the title character and how good she is, are then being like, well, we have to take something away from him because we don't want to be all about him. But then they're talking about other Kens. Right. And that's and like, like, sure, like I think Michael Sarah is a riot because he's playing Alan and it's just oh such a bizarre God, thing. So fucking funny. Uh, such a singular, like among the many things that no other filmmakers would have done in this movie besides uh, Noah and Greta is Alan. Like that's such a them thing. Yeah. Um. But then you see people talking about, well, well what about uh, Kingsley Benadir and and um, and Judy and 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 Seema Liu? And you're like, yeah, they're they're good, but they're they're almost cameos. Like the whole point is that they're in the background and they get to come to the forefront for a little bit because of the patriarchy aspect. But they're they're not that far removed from John Cena in the movie, who literally just sure. pops up out of the ocean to be like, hey guys, and like back up. Like it's. It's Although I would that, argue that Simu gets a really nice sort of like back and forth rivalry with Gosling. Sure, because you need it. They decide we need a little like Jets and a Sharks thing because now that they're like now that the patriarchy is here, the men need to be aggressive as opposed to I do beach. Uh, yeah, but, but I, they they sow the seeds of it even earlier. Like one of my biggest laughs in the whole movie is uh, at the dance party early on when uh, Simu Ken does the big flip and he's like, "But you can't do that, Ken!" And he just cut to Gosling on the ground. And it's just like, "What?" 
Yeah. No, I'm just every, freaking every, out about it. Every Gosling reaction is 11, and it's always great. Oh, yeah. Even, even the one like, well, well, did you at least bring your roller skates? I, I go literally nowhere without them. Like, yeah. everything is this apoplectic, like, the world relies on me responding. Yeah. It makes that quote that he had about, like, None of you ever fucked with Ken. I'm the first one to fuck with Ken, so shut up. Like, you don't get to tell me how Ken is. I'm literally inventing a Ken. So much better. Because he knew what he had done. So he's like, no, you shut up. Like, the whole point of Ken is Ken is nothing. Like, we all agree Ken is nothing. So I had carte blanche to make Ken anything, and I'm making him this. And you all need to shut up until you watch it. Um, Exactly. Which is funny because they're also like, I also saw a thing where they might maybe push him lead. That's a wild thing. I think the whole point is Ken has to be supporting. Yeah, that would be a stretch, I think. And and it wouldn't but, do him any favors in terms of award prospects. Exactly. No, as a, as a supporting player, I think I think he has a shot at a nomination. I don't know that he can win. I think we're we're maybe entering Robert Downey Jr. steamrolling. It's but, it's certainly poising itself that way, which I wouldn't exactly. be opposed to, but No, and like if they're both you, in the conversation, I think that's already a good start to the conversation. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, these are these are my two favorite films of the year. Nice. They are in my top three. Yeah, I, I mean, Air is the other one. So I'm I, I can tinker around with that. And the past lives is yours, right? Yep. Yeah. So like, listen, we're we're all we love these things. They're great. They're phenomenal. I um, I truly am delighted that they've made so much money and they have made all the money. Oh, yeah. Nothing no, like, listen, when we went for round two, just looking at like tickets and availability and stuff like, you know, opening weekend for like the next big Spider-Man movie, you might see these kind of like every single showtime filled up. For, but for it to happen with two non-franchise, like pseudo original things from like singular auteurs and like both like seeing wild success within the same weekend, like it's kind of unprecedented in some ways. Totally. It literally was was the first time the box office have ever ever done that. Yeah, and I love um, as we as we start to close up, we're gonna do a speed round of something else as we wrap up. But um, I like that the the they're trying to make it happen again, which it won't work. By the way, this is organic oh, no. and will never work again. Any time that anyone tries to force this, it absolutely will not work, no matter how you do it. No, but if by chance it does, and it's for Saw Patrol, I don't care about Paw Patrol. But if it helps Saw Ten, I'm in. <laughs> Sure, like, fine. Let's but do like, it. what kind of unhinged audience member is going for both of those, like, completely sincerely? I mean, you did write an article about reviewing Barbenheimer, so you've teed yourself <laughs> yeah, up but, already. Well, you say that, <laughs> but at the same time, no. I think Barbie and Oppenheimer, like, yes, they are different, but they do still, at the end of the day, appeal to a similar enough kind of film. Like, there's enough reasonable audience overlap there that it's not out rages for the same person to be seeing both movies the same person is not seeing saw and paw patrol there's just that person doesn't exist and if they do exist they are like a character in saw (laughs) they're troubled is what they are yeah um you know you're you're not wrong uh so two quick things because i just remembered something i sent you that we uh there were some other double features that have come out over the years we did some last week let's do a speed round of uh this or that Poltergeist or Rather Khan? Uh, Poltergeist. I'll go Rather Khan. Blade Runner or The Thing? Ooh, that's mm-hmm. close. I'll go The Thing. Same. Scarface, Terms of Endearment. No, interesting. Uh, <laughs> Scarface for me. Terms of Endearment. 
Ghostbusters, Gremlins. Gremlins, but I think modern Ghostbusters is tainting that response. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, no Ghostbusters for me, for sure. Batman, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, Batman. Batman. Fried Green Tomatoes, Naked Lunch. <laughs> Fun. Uh, naked Lunch. I love it. Um, Fried Green Tomatoes. Three Ninjas, Unforgiven. Oh, God. I guess Unforgiven, even though I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, I'll go Unforgiven, but yeah, one of these days we'll I, get I don't want to be one of those unserious people who says, no, I'm going to go Three Ninjas. <laughs> well, you can go Ernest Rides Again. Oh, well, or I'll the piano. Or the piano. No, I actually probably will do Ernest there. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Oh, here's a wild one. It's Pat the Movie and Natural Born Killers. Insanity. Uh, natural Born Killers, please. <laughs> I, I hate Natural Born Killers, but I still have to go with that one. Hoop Dreams and Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, but that's a great one. Yeah. Seven and Showgirls. Yeah, I knew that one was going to put a bit of a skip in your step. Uh, seven for me. Same. Showgirls is awful, but like fun. The English Patient and Space Jam. <laughs> Probably Space Jam, honestly. The first one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I do kind of like Space Jam. And ending as patient's a chore. I don't mind Matrix, it, but I don't love it, yeah. That's fair. The Matrix and 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, gotta be The Matrix, but love both. I'm gonna go 10 Things I Hate About You. But yeah, they're both great. That This is, that one might be the highest quality pairing so far. Yeah. And also March. Wild. March of 99. 99 baby what are you um the the uh, we're back to 99 the iron giant and the sixth sense oh interesting uh i think i'd probably be more likely to do iron giant um the sixth sense but i i also admit that the iron giant i have to watch again re- one day i i like it but I, I i i'm not as in love with everyone is with it but i don't have a reason so i'm do a i'm do a revisit ai and Pootie Tang. <laughs> uh, AI was on my sci-fi list for this year, and it ended up getting nudged off towards the end. Uh, so I have no thoughts on it or Pootie Tang. Mm, AI. I love AI. Insomnia. Ah. Ah. And Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Uh, gosh, I wonder where I could possibly be leaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Insomnia. Ray or Saw. Uh-huh. See, it's all coming back here. Oh, I, I had to rack my brain for a second to think what movie Ray was. Um, exactly. Saw. Yeah, exactly. Casino and Happy... Casino Royale. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Casino Royale and Happy Feet. Interesting. Uh, Casino Royale. Casino Royale. The Dark Knight. You know this one. And Mamma Mia. Dark Knight, obviously. Yeah, Dark Knight for sure. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin. Do you know what this one is? I forget. And the girl with the dragon tattoo, Fincher. God, that might be my favorite that we've done so far. Um, it's girl with the dragon tattoo for me. I'm I'm not a big Tintin person. I am a big Tintin person, but I'll still say dragon tattoo. Fair. All right. Last thing, and then we will we will call it a call it quits. But we do want to hear about Barbenheimer. If anyone uh, did it as well. 
uh, give us some reactions. Also, if you want to read Miles uh, is reviewing Barbenheimer as if it was a, a film, comment on that. We, uh, we'll check and see if you guys left anything interesting, and we'll be sure to look at it next week because the movies will still be making money. And honestly, there's not a ton coming out next week. Right? No, or for a couple of weeks. Well, Talk to Me is probably the only thing I'll be, have a chance to get to. Sure, I, I will probably have seen it by then. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the uh, the dates for that one. Um, as I pull up the last thing, do, what am I seeing next? I have nothing maybe next week? Gran Turismo is coming up. Uh, last Voyage of the Demeter, uh, Demeter, whatever. I actually could have seen um, TMNT this weekend, but it's not going to work out time-wise. So that's that's sort of the next wave of things, I guess, right? Yeah. That yeah, all sounds summer, right. Summer truly is over. Uh, Samuel Lachlan, should Robert De Niro have won the Oscar for Taxi Driver or The Deer Hunter? Should he have been nominated for Mean Streets, Goodfellas, or The Irishman? I, I think um, Taxi Driver is, is maybe his best performance. I know, I know, I know. It bounces. That movie bounces off you a little bit. Also, it's it's a weird thing to think about now because that movie is a. Uh, it just feels like people we have trouble with now. Yeah, essentially the movie. Well, and I don't know. I mean, I I, I listened to all those examples, and I still think things kind of played out the ways the way they should have. Like, I think Raging Bull for me is his definitive performance, and everything else is just you know so much icing. Um, sure. I mean, in terms of like. The winners, if you for those who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Peter Finch posthumously wins for Network against Taxi Driver. That's hard to argue with. Yeah. Um, also, even though you have William Holden there as well and uh, Stallone for Rocky, which in a world where Stallone would have won, I got to tell you, I wouldn't have been upset. Sure. It would have been. I don't know if his career would have been different, but that would have been something. So I, he might have been two. That year, but I don't think he was necessarily ever winning once Peter Finch died also. Yeah, hard to imagine. Whereas the Deer Hunter one, I'm I'm not in a hurry to give it to him for that. He's great in it, but um, John Voight wins for coming home. And that's a problem because John Voight sucks, yeah. but he's really good in that movie. That's one of those ones where you really wish he didn't suck because he's a good actor. He's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. You know, when I he's got, on, he's I, on. Exactly. Oh, when he's off, he's he's terrible but he's usually on now he's in like Roe versus Wade or some shit like that but um like in a way he's like better like James Woods is poor man Jean Voigt like he also sucks but his he's a little more uneven right Does that makes sense um in terms of those ones he didn't get nominated for I I'm a bad one to ask about Goodfellas because I I think that movie is good but not great Main Streets I do like, but he was he was young. I don't know that that would have happened. The Irishman does seem weird that he didn't get in, but that was a stacked lineup. Sure. And they like I mean, they really like the Irishman, just not enough to actually let it win anything. So hard to say. Yeah. Though it would have been interesting to see who like who would they have kicked out? I mean, obviously it wasn't gonna be DiCaprio. I guess I guess Antonio Banderas is the one who who takes that nomination away. Potentially. Uh, but then also you have you have Sandler that year. So well, Who's I was about to say? to say I don't think he was even necessarily as high as like the eight. He might have been eight. I don't know. He he reminds me in a similar way of like Affleck the year of um, Argo, where it's like it's a stacked year. You know he's in the running, but it just never feels like he's gonna make it. Got to jump too many people. Sure. Um, if Glenn Close had won the Oscar for The Wife. I don't I have to consider that for a moment because it's not great. Would Olivia Coleman have won the Oscar for The Father? 
So she doesn't win mm. for um, for the favorite. Does she instead win for the father? Maybe, no. but I think I think Minari was 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 hitting that perfect spot for that win. And I don't know that she, she would have necessarily felt due that early on. No, like if she was... hadn't win one for the favorite. No, that favorite win is sort of like a delightful surprise. Well, because it's one that's well, yeah, because she was kind of not up and cover. She'd been working for years, but you know, character actress suddenly like shot to sort of the the top stage was very much you know not on the bingo card. And I think all the nominations that have come since then are sort of residual goodwill from that, rather than like I don't think she would have been nominated for the father if she hadn't won for yeah. the favor. No, it's 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 kind of an afterglow nomination. Exactly. Um, and also, she she went into Oscar night not even necessarily number two. Oh, totally for the the favorite. Like that was the big surprise. It was like, oh, not only does Glenn Close not win, wait, it's 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 Olivia Coleman, not in a bad way, but just like wild. Um, and the last one we'll do because uh, Samuel left us a bunch, so we're gonna save some for next week. If Liam Neeson had won the Oscar for Schindler's List, okay, okay, would these other wins have happened? Because remember, other people win, so he, we're getting into the cascade effect, right? Tom Hanks for Castaway, Russell Crowe, A Beautiful Mind, Denzel Washington, Fences. Or would Tom Hanks have won for Saving Private Ryan, but Russell Crowe and, and Denzel still winning for Gladiator and Training Day? You know, we, we have these hypotheticals and we, we know there's no answer. But I do think that if Tom Hanks doesn't have two or maybe even doesn't have one, Castaway's happening. Sure. Because of the nature of that Oh, yeah. At that point, it would have to be. Yeah, I think in that same sense, if Russell Crowe hadn't just won for Gladiator, he's winning for Beautiful Mind. Right. Because it's much more of a traditional win. Um, Denzel for Fences. A harder to see just because Training Day yeah. was already his second. Exactly. Um, Hanks winning for Saving Private Ryan, I think, was somewhat unlikely. He's very good. And that movie was seen as like the big the big juggernaut. But people forget just how big a thing Life is Beautiful was. Like that At movie. At the time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like there are people who hate that movie like with a passion and there are plenty of people who are like it's garbage but whatever and then there's people who think it is amazing. I, I admit I like that movie a lot. I like I don't it, I'm dis- a fan. Yeah, like listen, we we understand why people hate that movie. Like it is it is also hateable in that way that ki- that kind of movie can be but that's that is like if you think about what Oscar goes for, even more so than the World War II movie, that's exactly what they go for. Yeah, that, so that particular that... breed of schmaltz. Exactly. So I think I think largely things stay the same. I think of this thing, Crow for a Beautiful Mind has a chance, but it's just it's less fun of a thing to think about. But Hanks for Castaway, he wasn't that far off to begin with. Just yeah. by nature of so much of that performance was highlighted prior to coming out as like this massive achievement in a way that we don't really see currently. You don't really hear about these, these performances that like, Oh my God, look what this guy did. And, and, and they do things like this all the time, but it's, it's not always Tom Hanks doing it. You know, it's, it's someone who has a reputation for it. It's the Christian sure. Bales of the world. Um, it's interesting things to consider and we will consider considering, continue considering these things in subsequent episodes, but we're going to close up shop now on part two of Barbenheimer. Um, will there be a part three? Probably not, but we'll probably bring it up again. So miles, um, 
Say where you can be followed. And if you were going to have, uh, if there was going to be another double feature like this, is there something that you think would work? Don't don't think about the release date, but of the remaining films, is there a thing that you would go for? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, I have to think about it. Um, <laughs> well, you can follow me on Twitter for however long Twitter is still Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, letterboxed at Miles on Film. That's M Y L E S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They're both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. And uh, be sure to check out Awards Radar for my Barbenheimer review, reviewing the experience of watching them both and what they kind of mean for the film industry. Um, I kind of. <laughs> It's one of those things that the second that you ask, I can't remember a single movie that's coming out this year. Sure. Was well, there a type of double feature? We can even we can even narrow it down to that. Like something else Barbenheimer style that you think would work in terms of like two types of films. It's hard to say because it's like, again, there's they on the surface, they're so different, but they actually have a surprising amount of sort of DNA in common. Either yeah, they're from like conversation. In a very interesting way. And so that's the kind of thing that's very difficult to replicate. Also, I feel like you couldn't do it if like one of them is like a sequel or a franchise film. You know what I mean? Yes. It's a very specific beast. So it's hard for me to imagine because like A24 is kind of the only studio consistently making that kind of movie anymore. Um, and your Imagine neons and whatever. Imagine A24 and Neon would come together for one of these. I was just thinking, yeah, like, do they both... What if we pair, like, Zone of Interest with, like, I don't know, Problemista? Yeah, yeah. Zone of Interest with uh, um, the Iron Claw. Claw sure. of Interest. There you go. Um, somehow disrespectful to both films, but, you know, it's all good. All right, you can find me, Joey Magazine, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, um... Hang on, I gotta look at these things now. Um, what are these other ones? Threads, and uh, I am now on Blue Sky as well. I don't know that I'm doing anything on them yet, but I'm there. Awards Radar is on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram because I don't know how to do them on the other ones. Uh, I'm with you. This was a silly thing to suggest, but it was it was a good way to cap off Barbenheimer. And you know what? If another one organically happens, I'm into it. But people forget there was a year for this to build, as opposed to. What can we do in the next month? So exactly, it, that whatever will be will be there. But hopefully, you guys enjoyed uh, hearing more about two of our favorite movies of the year. You'll hear more about it throughout the year because honestly, I'd be stunned if they're not both in my top ten at the end of the year. Same, yeah. So there, there we are on that. So uh, you know, try to not fuck up the planet. Both these movies also kind of want you to take better care of people, so that's good. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So until next week, we will. See you at the movies, potentially for Barbenheimer. Bye, y'all. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.